Hello and welcome back to the Red Sector GP podcast. I'm your host, Bueno GP, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Elisa, who you can follow on Twitter, at Elisa Vida, and myself, at Bueno GP underscore. Now, today, with it being an off week, we thought we'd recap this week's news with Top Rack, with Peko, but more importantly, we want to start off with um, our news on the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix in F1. Although this is not an F1 podcast, we do want to send our uh, thoughts and prayers to the people in Emilia-Romagna. And ultimately, what we've seen this last week has been quite disastrous in the sense of how much further it's gone than what I think a lot of people thought. We had a, a bad weather warning, didn't we, with the with a kind of an alert at the beginning. Then it was a bizarre warning. Then it was an extreme warning. And then next thing you know, the whole paddock was flooded. Local areas like in Imola and whatnot are flooded. Um, so rather than sort of gloss over the whole thing and sort of move on straight from it, um, I think it'd be best for me and Elisa to sort of pay our respects to that. And ultimately, yeah, I, I hope that everybody involved has come out of it in the best way possible. And hopefully we can be back at Imola next year. But again, more importantly, I hope that the local area is actually all in good shape. Um, Elisa, any comments on that? Sorry, I've not introduced you or anything, but I feel like it's <laughs> more important to just dive straight in um, and get involved. But, you know. Yeah, definitely. Like all my condolences to everyone who's who's lost their home to some in Emilia-Romagna. You know, it's, it's a big area. I've been there. I'm, my, my father has lived there for a while. And it's also for motorsport, it's a big area. You know, Bologna, Ducati is, is lo- located there and other other sports teams in in the motorsport and otherwise yes Alcatari and Maranello is also I think in Emilia Romagna for Ferrari so it's it's a re- it's a really big one and I hope hope it it, it gets settled unfortunately I think with the uh, with the global warming and stuff like that these extreme weather events will continue happening but I I just hope it it won't be that bad but sadly I think it's it's going to continue to happen in a lot of places and probably involve MotoGP and others as well, as well as people's lives, naturally. Yes, it's a big sort of smack in the face, isn't it, to um, the global warming side of things when it comes to a place like Italy that you associate with sun and nice warm weather and you don't really associate it with floods, so to speak. It's a big smack in the face to sort of wake up and realise that these things can happen in a place like Italy and ultimately can happen anywhere, obviously, but... More to the fact of like preparation for these things to happen is also a big factor when you look at the effect that it's had on the local areas in places like Imola, where you have houses, as you said, completely flooded out and you just fear for the fact that someone's gone from one day thinking that there's a slight weather one and then before you know it, people are preparing to completely lose their houses and their villages and towns and yeah, it's it's been really shocking to see. I'm I'm glad to see that a lot of the F1 drivers and stars and workers within F1 have been doing a lot to sort of contribute to the local workers, um, emergency services, and people of Emilia Romagna. Because yeah, I, I've been to Emilia Romagna. I've I've been through there many a time, and it's it's such a beautiful place with just yeah, admirable heritage that ultimately is quite well obviously it's always sad to see but i do i do fear for the people that have actually lost a lot in that in that sense because it's it's bad that we lost a race but that's when you realize with these sorts of things that races are not the most important it's the least important thing that we've lost in that week um 
so yeah, they're on the recovery. I saw the likes of Yuki Sonoda helping out in the um, in the local town that they were staying in, and yeah, I, I really hope that that they recover well from that. So, not to start on a dull note, but an important one. And yeah, I think it was important for us to mention that and definitely bring that one up. So, uh, this week, with it being an off week, just a quick episode. Uh, me and Elisa thought it'd be good to talk about this week's topics. Um, we were going to do a bit more of an urgent, well, I think we were looking to do maybe a more, more of an urgent episode with Peko's comments. However, I think it's kind of fell quite nicely in the sense that we've sat and waited until Monday to record, which has resulted in Top Rack announcing that he is leaving Yamaha, sadly enough. Um, and I'm going to read out what Top Rack has said in his press release so that then that can give Elisa a bit of context to run off of, um, of what she thinks. So Top Rack has said that for next season, this is quote, for next season, I feel I need a new challenge. And while there was an opportunity in MotoGP, I didn't feel the same connection with the MotoGP bike that I have with the Superbike. But if I am able to stay in World Superbikes, then I am. I need a new target and new ambition. Quote. Elisa, initial thoughts on Top Rack's comments? I was actually a bit shocked to be to be. To be honest, you know, I uh, even if these things were rumored, I think recently has been rumored that he will move inside World Superbikes. But still, I thought, you know, Yamaha has been building something with Toprak, and I think they pay him a lot of money also. But I think a lot of this boils down to the money money side of it. But still, I think I I still associate Toprak nowadays with Yamaha. Obviously, he hasn't been with Yamaha for the longest time, but they they were building a brand with him and obviously using him in a lot of marketing and stuff like that. So in that sense, I'm, I'm quite shocked that he is leaving Yamaha. And obviously I'm not the biggest World Superbike fan, but I thought, you know, he still has a good opportunity with Yamaha to build something because that's been a good good team and he's won a championship with them. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I when I first saw the news, was very surprised. And I, I half thought this is announcing that I'm not staying in World Superbikes and possibly going to GP. I, I, I thought that was more in the possibilities than it was to be moving within World Superbike to what is looking like and whispered to be BMW. I think if you'd have said to anybody in the World Superbike or MotoGP paddock last week to put £10 on, do you think he'll move to MotoGP or do you think he'll go to BMW in World Superbike? I think a lot of people would say MotoGP. But yeah, I've got to be honest, I I did not really see it coming with BMW. Now, this is not confirmed. I want to make that very clear. It's not confirmed that he's going to BMW. However, through various different journalists with Steve English and others, it is rumoured to be BMW. And yeah, I don't know if that's going to be... I mean, I'm, I kind of want to assume in terms of logic side of things, I want to assume that it's Scott Redding that they'll be getting rid of because of the they are paying him a fair fair penny of BMW, which they are probably Michael van der Mark, but um, I can see them probably getting rid of Scott Redding and moving towards Top Rack. But again, this is all speculation in terms of what team he is going to. I can't see him going to Ducati. I don't see that being a likelihood. Honda... Maybe, but I don't, again, I don't know if I see it, really. And Kawasaki, 
I can't see either, really. I don't I don't know if that's I don't think I think people like your Jonathan Reyes of the world and Alvaro Batistas are gonna have something within their contract or kind of a gentleman's agreement, if you like, which obviously don't count for much in the in the brutal world, to say I get to sort of have a say on who I want in. Like typically like we've heard about in the past with like F1, where there's been certain drivers that have had a bit of a more of a say on who they want in their team. And I think Bautista would have probably put in this new contract that he signed with World Superbikes um, in Ducati, sorry, that I think he would have said, I- I'll sign as long as I'm still the main man at Ducati. Basically saying, you can't go and sign Top Rack or Jonathan Ray and, you know, have them involved. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I see I- it being BMW or Honda, maybe, but I don't know. I think, as as we were discussing earlier, earlier of the pod, I think in the com- uh, competitiveness sake, I think the Yamaha, obviously, obviously nothing is really challenging the Ducati and that we want to box at the moment. So I guess in competitiveness sense, it, it kind of makes sense to move. But also, I, I the BMW, I think it makes sense for the money. They probably have the money to pay. As, yeah. as you said, Honda probably would have also the money. I don't think... I don't know what the Yamaha's budget is, but I know it's probably a lot lower than, than those teams, probably. But still, competitiveness sake, you know, I don't think either Honda or BMW haven't won a race in a long time. I'm, don't, don't sue me for not, not knowing when, but, but the point is they haven't won a race. And they haven't really looked like the challenge. And I think both teams have had good riders there, so that, that's not the problem there. So... You, you'd still think that yeah. Yamaha, after Alvaro is gone, after next year, you know, would be the best shot to get a title if you can't move to Ducati. But who knows? Maybe, maybe he thinks that he can bring the project forward. And I think, obviously, with Toprak's talent, he's probably the most talented rider in that paddock at this moment. He he can have better results. It just depends on how good the result can be on a BMW. Now, here's a question. More so... Um, not more so sorry I mean moving on from if you like top rack who do Yamaha get in because obviously that's that's a big position in terms of current world superbike you know looking at a team that's recently won a world championship with top rack and competing with Locatelli but I almost feel like Yamaha might look at this and think there's not a rider there at the minute with Locatelli that is Comp- gonna compete to the level that Top Rack did. So who do Yamaha look to? Do you think, as a, as even if it's not realistic in the sense of right now, who do you see Yamaha lining up as their options for twenty twenty four? I think they have a group of like the newer talents. I think it was it isn't Dominique Egerder Egerder mm-hmm. on on a Yamaha and Rem Garda obviously came on a Yamaha, but I don't think either of them as a as a rookies are probably ready to move up to the Yamaha Yamaha team and with with Loka. I think building up, I I've understood he has a quite good season nowadays, but still not not at the level of top rank. Obviously, that's a hard bar to reach, but Yamaha are, are looking to have a have a title challenger. So, I think maybe a good option would be if if MotoGP doesn't work out to have Franco Morbidelli move from MotoGP to two superbikes. Obviously, I think Franco Morbidelli has an option probably to be become a VR46 rider, as we have discussed, but I think for Yamaha, if they would have would get someone like Jorge Martin in MotoGP and they wanted to give someone like Franco Morbidelli, 
uh, still in the fold. I think I think he he could probably do a really well on on a superbike on a Yamaha. I I could see that, and obviously him being a MotoGP race winner, almost champion there, and a MotoGP two champion. I think that would be a a good option to bring over. You know, you have seen past success with with them bringing uh World Superbike teams bringing over like MotoGP talent. You know, Bautista is right now dominating, and he has been good in in MotoGP previously, and Scott Redding as well, and so on. So. Morbidelli would be my pick. Yeah, I mean, it is one of those, isn't it, where I think Yamaha can look at Morbidelli and say, you're our ideal candidate. And Frankie does have the the power in the VR46 sense to go, well, no, I just want to stay in MotoGP and VR46 are able to do it. So this is all depending on what Pramac do. Pramac have got a lot of chips in terms of the power of all of these moves in the sense of if Zarco and Martin carry on their Le Mans form, and I don't mean be on the podium every weekend, but I mean compete, because if Zarco doesn't compete, Ducati will get rid. They will get rid. Like I'm I'm sorry, but I, you know, I'm not really seeing Zarco get a two year contract without having won a race or compete for one this year. I really don't see it. And with that means a free spot of VR46, because you are going to assume that Bezeki would move to Pramac. So without kind of doing all the dominoes downwards, down towards, you know, like World Superbikes, Frankie, VR46, Bezeki, Pramac, it's it's sort of difficult for me to see Morbidelli moving to World Superbikes on that sort of pipeline of what I just mentioned. I really do think Agata would be a good shout because he's done a few years in World Supersport been competitive obviously won twice and he's got so much experience anyway i think dominic agato would be an incredible um shout for, for yamaha to move him up and it's then just the question of whether he can compete which i think he's been really competitive to be fair from the start of this season um with yamaha it's whether yamaha want that as their main t- title push when you have ducati with alvaro batista with so much experience you have Kawasaki with Jonathan Ray with so much experience. Do they go with... Um, I mean, I know Agatha's not exactly 22-23, but in terms of the world superbike experience and challenging for titles, do they see the future in going for someone experienced like Agatha? Or do they go completely outside the box and put all of their chips down on Frankie Morbidelli and try and persuade him to stay within Yamaha and maybe pay him that extra... Well, he definitely will be paying, getting paid more than what the likes of Agatha would probably get paid, seeing as though he has actually competed at the highest level in GP. It is just a bit of a an interesting one to look at from a Yamaha point of view, um, because it's easy to look at where top rack's going, but I think Yamaha are now going to be sat there thinking, oh dear, like how do we fill those shoes? Because we're talking about arguably the most talented rider on the grid with... You know, you think the last couple of years where that bike's drifted towards, it's not drifting towards Locatelli, is it? It's drifting towards Top Rack in terms of what, how they want it to, to be able to work because ultimately he's the one pulling in the results. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting point of view from Yamaha to think of who they bring in. But BMW, if that is the team, let's say it is, who do they get rid of? Do they get rid of Scott? Do they get rid of Michael? You'd, I don't know. I think if, if they get rid of Scott, I can see Scott Redding probably going back to BSB. But 
it's so weird to be thinking about this because we were saying this, weren't we, after the podcast the other day in that we say this early on in the season, but we're actually, we've hit the quarter stage mark and we're already talking about 2024. It's like a constant, every year we start these conversations, it's like you don't want to fall into the trap of going, right, we're in 2025, let's not talk about 2026, but before you know it, you're on about 2027 and 2028 and it's... It's just forever. It's earlier and earlier. Yeah. Yes, and people are making longer time. contracts nowadays in general. So it's, it's it's a constant discussion, you know. And obviously, you know, these discussions don't stop for the riders and the people in the paddock. Obviously, they are already talking teams and making their cases heard. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's just a constant circus, isn't it, in that sense? But um, the other topic, as mentioned, we were going to discuss. Unless you have any, do you have any other comments on the top rack thing, Elisa? Not really. No. Uh, Quickly, we're looking where, forward where would you to want him to move? Where would you want him to move? If you got any pick of any bike, what would you want him to see him on? Obviously, Ducati. You know, we we want to see World Superbikes have a championship fight somewhere. You know, I think he's he's not going to move to Ducati. You know, <laughs> they're going to give Alvaro his 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 farewell season, winning every race next year or something like that. But but you know that would be that would be something. I think I think to see him on the Ducati. Obviously, that would could then lead to to something like a top rack domination on Ducati for the next years. You'd never know, but at least for yeah. one season, that would be fun. <laughs> that would be works, I think is the word for that. Um, so, moving on to the other side of the um, the fence from World Superbikes. Obviously, with what a lot of people would have seen last week, Peko Bainaya has come out since saying that these have been taken out of context. So I just want to make that clear, that these quotes that I'm about to read out from Peko, he has kind of in hindsight, I think, since being asked about it, tried to sort of soften the blow and say, well, I was asked about safety, which I believe that he was, but he did also go a certain direction in what he said. Um, so yes. Peko came out and basically was asked about the crashing from you know early on in a race and sort of the injuries to riders and what that brings Pecco responded with saying, from my point of view, we have been trying to win on the first few laps for two years now, and a rider who is behind, who doesn't have the potential to ride at the front, tries to overtake six riders at once, and that's not how it works. I don't know who that's digged at, but I can probably think of a few names. Um, we all push to the limit, and if I break on the limit, looking for something else is a mistake and even more so in the first part of the races. Most of the crashes happen at the beginning because there is too much turmoil. With the situation we have today, all the bikes are capable of winning. It is necessary to think about it because it is not a safe scenario. From the first bike to the last bike, they can all win. There are no longer those six or seven tenths that there used to be between the works bikes and the satellite bikes. The Fantastic Four, Rossi, Pedroza, Stoner and Lorenzo, emerged because they were the best and because they had works bikes. Factory bikes, for anybody that doesn't understand what that means. The others were quite far behind because they didn't have the potential to ride at the front, not at the technical level either. Now, the level is extreme, everything is pushed to the limit, it would be necessary to recover a bit of that difference between factory and customer bikes or find a solution to avoid certain situations. So essentially what Paco is saying there is that beforehand... 
even though he kind of contradicts himself in saying the Fantastic Four, Rossi, Pedroza, Stoner and Lorenzo, emerged because they were the best and, you know, they, they had works bikes. But he's now criticising satellite bikes for having just as much technical ability being given the same, almost, bike underneath them as he does. Now, I'm just going to quickly put something out there and then I'll let Elisa... Um, have have the say on on that. I read this straight away and go, I think that is major insecurity. And I know that sounds like I'm saying I'm having a dig at a world champion here. And I know that's a big thing. But why would you feel the need to have a dig at satellite bikes, which is given him an opportunity to show he can be competitive, giving him a factory bike and his boss Valentino Rossi winning a world title on a satellite bike when the difference was as big as what it used to be but now degrade it and look down upon it to think that they shouldn't be given and again I get relating it to safety but I don't think giving Repsol Honda Ducati factory Yamaha factory KEM factory Aprilia five or six tenths more is going to resolve a problem when then you still have 10 bikes going into turn one that would be equal. So I don't think it really makes any... I think what that says to me is Pecco wants a bike that is better than everybody else's so he doesn't get crashed into. That's that's kind of what I just get from it, at least. I don't know what you think. I don't know. I'm going to let you have your say so I can shut up. But Yeah, I think... From a safety perspective, I really understand it. I understand that obviously we have seen the crashes when we have seen, you know, some some people outbreaking themselves and trying to make something happen that clearly isn't there, and we have seen seen the load of it. But but I don't I don't really know if if Peko's diagnosis or the reason for that is correct. And I think, it, you know, in general, I think we have all agreed that it's good that the satellite bikes all have potential. But I think also. The point that Pekka is digging here is the point that he says that riders who don't have the potential are trying to have have a result. And I think he's also digging at that, you know, saying that, you know, all these satellite riders don't have the potential. And I agree that obviously not everyone is going to be a world champion, even even if they are good and, and can can have results. But still I think it's a bit it it's a bit also to say when he says that also when he when he makes the Comment to the Fantastic Four. He points out that they had the, they had the work bikes, but also that they were the best. But also, in, the, in a way, he's also saying that you know, in, in sort of alertism, and he's saying that you know they the others didn't deserve the factory bikes at that point. But I think that's also when we look at back, look back, we can see that there were good riders who probably would have done much better on the factory bikes back in the day. Also, I think the talent is much more nowadays, but still. You know, I think it was far too limiting in terms of the material sometimes given to the riders. And uh, nowadays, you know, not everyone certainly has the same amount of potential, but still, it's, it's much fairer in the in the sense of opportunities given to the riders. So I don't, I I don't really understand it. And it's also, as you said, you know, Peko has been given this opportunity to do it through a satellite bike, and as it, it it just feels insecure to say that you know these others aren't as good, and also to, to be digging at others. And yeah, it's just also, yeah, yeah. I, that's the thing for me is 
you can't sit there and have a dig at these satellite riders saying that they don't have the technical ability. It's the bike that sort of, and I know, I know he's not, he's not saying that directly, but he's insinuating that. Yeah. Then Paco, let's just rewind three or four years. Jack Miller was signed to Ducati because of his performances on Pramac. He was the, seemed to be, primary rider that they wanted to sign to move him up because Dovi was Dovi was moving on. That was it. Dovi was gone. And they wanted to get Jack Miller in, and it was pretty much confirmed that Petrucci would also be gone. So they were getting two new riders in. Now, <laughs> Peko Bagnaia, because of the satellite bike that he was on, being that they, you know, the, the the gap is not what it used to be, was able in the position in a satellite team to be able to compete for top ten results. Now, if Peko wanted to turn around now and say there needs to be that gap again, as I've just said, we have five factory teams, meaning if they all finish, Peko seems to think that it, it makes more sense for more weekends than not, the top 10 be those factory bikes and the other remaining numbers be outside the top 10. And you've really got to, you know, do incredibly well to get within that top 10. Now, from a safety point of view, I get it in a sense. But it's a bit hypocritical to say, I think that that needs to be in place because they don't have the technical ability when the only reason he was able to prove his technical ability in GP is because he was giving a satellite bike that was like for like pretty much with a factory bike up to the standard that it was given factory support to give to give him the factory Ducati ride. I think that's a bit hypocritical personally because you wouldn't be in the position that you're in if the satellite bikes were what they used to be. If If he'd have come in and raced on an old Pramac from like 2015, 2014, he would have had nowhere near the results that he would have had. And I'm not taking anything away from Peko. I think Peko is an incredible rider. Like the guy is so talented. And yeah, I, I genuinely do rate him. I massively rate him. But you, you can't bite the hand that feeds you in the sense of saying that that shouldn't be there because it's causing A, B and C when you're at the top. Because when you were at the bottom, if someone would, if somebody would have turned around to him when he was fighting for a, a factory Ducati seat after Jack Miller got announced as one and somebody said, okay, we're going to take away the factory support with having a few Ducati mechanics in the Pramac team. So you're going to have to fight for yourself. And, oh, you're not going to get that part to test out because we want a bigger gap between the factory team. He would be sat there, would he or would he not, be saying, that's not fair. How do you expect me to compete if I'm on a lesser bike? So you can't really say that when that is the, that is a big reason as to why he's in the position he's in. Yes, and also adding it, it's kind of also the biting the hand that feeds you in the sense that he's talking about the fact that basically all the crashes happened at the starts. Well, also to take out the fact that we have now doubled the starts, and that starts are always you know you know it's it's not just that the people are trying to win the race in the first few laps. But also, I think you have to look at it and say that, you know, the reason why people are trying to win the race in the first few laps 
is the problem of overtaking that they pretend to be there, and that's because of Aero. And that's also the thing that his team, Ducati, has been the fourth runner in yeah. doing so. And I'm not saying, obviously, you know, you can still find fault in that, but, but still to say that, you know, your team is the one that's possibly going to be the biggest uh, biggest one standing in the way of getting rid of big Aero things. And also that's the reason why how you have gained so much in the in the sense that and also like uh wanting they had the safety commission meeting uh, on um in France and also I remember they had the discussion about about the safety elements and I think this was a big thing that uh Mark Marquez was going on about was the fact that you know the arrow has caused the problems with overtaking and people having to outbreak themselves. And I'm not saying, you know, Mark obviously has his own his 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 own hands in the in the certain certain bucket in the sense that Honda is not doing greatest in the arrow, so he would benefit from the loss of it. But I don't think he's in the wrong in the statement to say that arrow is a major reason why yeah. it's such hard for not just Honda but all the others. You know, you, we have we have had Ducati riders also complain about the fact that they can't overtake other Ducatis at some point, which is ironic. But I, I remember I think. Pecco or Martin was commenting last year something at some race about it, but I, I definitely remember that being a point point of arguing. So you know, I don't I don't think it's a fair assessment to say that just because the satellite bikes are there, that's the reason why people are trying to win, you know, in the first laps. Yeah, I, for me, I'd rather see people going into first few corners trying to overtake than people all in one line like F1 is for the most part and not overtake and form a, a nice line and then let all of the best riders on the best bikes make a gap and no one be able to have a chat. Like, let's be real, even if that was sold in a more enthusiastic way than what I've just done, <laughs> would you really prefer that? No. No one, I would, as you I, said... I like knowing that Bezeki can win a race. I like knowing that Miguel Oliveira can win a race. I like knowing that those riders, if their bike as a whole, not just R&F, Aprilia and R&F, go into Mugello and have a good base setting, that all four Aprilias can come. I like that. I li I'm not saying that they should all be factory bikes, but the fact that satellite bikes can compete in a top sense... I'd, like, I, I get what he's saying. I, I I do think, I'll make this clear, I do think that when you're in a factory team, there should be a, a big kind of disparity between a factory team and a satellite team in the sense of if you are in a factory team, you get certain privileges, i.e. priority on parts, priority on salary, priority on sure. whatever that may be. Yes. Yeah, I, I do think that there should be a, a quite a clear gap because you have ultimately earned that. But in order for the person who is at the you know the king of the jungle, so to speak, that kind of analogy in the sense of Peko and Anea, I don't think that there should be no chance of anyone else in the jungle being able to fight to be the king of the jungle because then you have basically not a monopoly, but in the sense of you have six riders there that know that they, they've got no chance. So then they don't really feel the need to want to fight. Then they don't really feel the need to, because they know that the opportunity is not there. Whereas if a rider 
is able to get close to comp. Let's let's make this clear. Bezeki is not on the same bike as 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 Peko. He's not on the same bike. He does not have the same support. He does not have the same salary. He does not have the same as Peko. He has not got the same as him. So to say that he competes with him is a is a tick next to Marco Bezeki's name, if anything. So knowing from Bezeki's point of view that he can fight for that for that ride makes it more interesting as a spectator rather than oh Bezeki must have to do four years on a rubbish satellite bike and get a few podiums maybe over four or five seasons to then maybe get within a shout. I want competition. I want people to be able to fight from the back of the grid to the front. I want to see people go into turn one and not everyone dive bomb, but I'd like to think that if Fabio qualified in 15th, that he could make a lunge into turn one and if he gets to 12th or 11th or whatever that may be, and he's not wiped anybody out and it's and it's clean, but hard but fair, I'd rather see that than Fabio go, I'm not going to do that because penalties or because I don't want anyone to sort of feel like I'm disrupting their race or, or whatever. Like, yeah, you want to see the start Brad Binder had, had like exactly. from 10 or 20th to first, at first in the sprint race. And I like, I can't. For the life of me, I can't tell like who who actually looks at the satellite bikes being able to win and says it's a bad thing. I think for the most part, it's just you know that's just to raise the bar on what the performance can be on a satellite bike and what you need to do to prove that you deserve a factory ride. Because nowadays, it's not even the it's it's not the Yamaha Tech Three where you get like a couple podiums per season when one of the top four or two crash out or something have a bad race or something like that. It's it's not that. It's just race the bar that you can get more podiums when you have a good weekend. You can win when you have a great weekend. And that's that's how you need to prove nowadays that you have as a satellite rider deserve a factory ride. And also, you know. Not to mention the fact that you obviously there's a monetary aspect to it as well. You know, satellite riders can get more with bonuses, with having to get podiums. You know, it's it, it was a dream like a decade ago for a satellite rider to get more than two podiums for a season, and nowadays they can win. And yeah, that yeah, that's what I mean. People need to realize, with this being said, whether it's on about safety or not, the way that he's degrading satellite teams when that's how he came through is is bizarre considering the support that he is get he has got right let's just give a bit of context he is on the best bike on the grid no no question about it he's on the best bike on the grid he more than likely if bastianini was fit would have a gentleman's agreement of if either one of them get priority on anything it's Peko. He's won a world title, so credit to him. He deserves that priority. He has six other bikes outside of his team on the same bike as him, pretty much, or a year year behind, that they get more data for his bike. And he has got the team that is throwing the most money at it at the minute, probably up there with Honda, to compete at the highest level and also not to mention, has seven other teammates that if he needed, Ducati can enforce and will enforce and have enforced to help him win races, to win his world title. He could not be in a better position to compete for the title this year. 
So to come out and have a stab at riders that don't have that, I think is massively, massively degrading and also insecure. I don't see how yeah, you can't just... see it. Even if you don't think it's massively insecure, I don't think you can read that and go, no, I think he's completely confident. Like, it just screams to me that he's sat there thinking, I don't want anybody fit. I don't want anyone near me. I don't want anybody to be able to compete. I want to be be given an advantage over the satellite bikes. When they're fighting with less tools to compete. Like, you don't... You don't see Mark Marquez going on about satellite bikes. Like, like I'm no. sorry, you don't see Fabio doing that. They, they obviously they don't necessarily always want you, you. Don't necessarily want the strongest competition right next to you on the box. And obviously you're gonna fight inside the box to be the best rider there. But still, mostly you just focus on what you're doing. And I think in Paco's position to be, it seems like this takes up a lot of in his mind over like, like to, to be in the best position out outside of anyone in MotoGP at this point to say these comments it's just like man can you like can you just focus on what you're doing you know you, you don't need anything else at this point and I'm not you know I, I have huge respect for Peko and I think as as you said he he's generally one of the most talented there at the on the grid at this moment and he has a he has great success on the bike so I just these types of stuff you know comments don't make really much sense to me at this no. point. And I, I look at it as well and I think Imagine if Alicia sat there now saying to Aprilia, you're giving them more than what I'm getting or they shouldn't be given that much. He's not doing that. Do you know what I mean? Like To say he's just won a world title and to say he has all of the privileges that he does have, granted, granted he has earned a privilege to be a factory rider, but no other factory rider has his privilege. None of them. Mark doesn't have that many riders on for Honda. He doesn't have that many riders to test everything that Ducati run. He doesn't have seven other bikes of that competitive. No other rider on the grid is in a better and more privileged position than Peko. Not one. Not one rider. So for that rider to be looking down and saying those sorts of things... I do quite find I find quite funny more like I just I just yeah I mean, just, obviously that, these are one I, comments yeah yeah, yeah. I've seen Poncher I'll say I'm not going to say what he said but he basically said it's <laughs> a load of rubbish um and how can how can you not feel that way when you you know he he did comment I saw Paco say in the in the press he was saying like today we have Augusto Fernandez in P4 it's like he's a rookie He's never been around that track on that bike and a bike that has been so uncompetitive for the last two years. And you're looking at that guy saying this shouldn't happen. Like, yeah, like, he, he beat the KDM factory KDM guys he rode there. Philip like, Island 2019, Pekka was P4 on a satellite bike on a better a, equivalent to the grid, better bike. I will just add. I'm not saying Augusto Fernandez is better than Peko before anyone says that. But <laughs> but a Pramac 2019 relevant to the grid is far better than a Gas Gas in 2023 to the rest of the grid. Yes. It's just one thing that's obviously, you know, Peko went on to say that he proved this was just an analogy and he didn't really mean those comments. And I and I believe at some point 
you know, I, I believe in that, that he didn't mean to make such a comment unnecessarily. And obviously, you have to take the benefit of the doubt in the fact that English is not his first language. But still, some of the comments that they just scream to me in general, like at this moment, to the fact that, you know, maybe mentally, as we have discussed, maybe mentally he isn't the strongest rider on the grid, you know, with having his own crashes and stuff like that, you know. And I, I mean, you know, he's been crashed into this season once. So, you know, it's he, he crashed himself most of the races he has now done. So I think, you know, the focus should be maybe in your own performance. If you feel threatened or, or, or pressured by the other riders, you know, whether it's in qualifying, if someone's following around or something like that, ultimately, that's a you problem. I'm sorry, but, you know, that's a you problem that, that there, you know, I think you, you have uh, yeah. to handle it. If, you, if you're at the top, you have to handle it. The other, others going for you, the others want to compete you. Yeah. That's, I that's completely agree. And I look at it and think that Fabio and Mark, like you use the analogy of, they think, oh, I'm with Frankie in the in the factory team. And Mark's going, I'm with Sean Mir. They're not thinking like, this person's got this, this. But there'll be part of them. Like, for example, when Rossi got put with Lorenzo, he always now you know, admits it and says, I was annoyed with Yamaha because I said, why have you bought this rider that's going to be so quick? You know, he wanted to be the man. Internally as a team, I get that. Like we've just spoken about with Alvaro Bautista with Top Rack, you want to be the main man in a team. Naturally, but, yeah. But how Satellites. Can you, how can you look at satellite teams in your area when you're on that bike and go, this, this shouldn't be happening? Like, Pecco, realistically, if you have, an, if you have a bad week, you're still in the top 10. If a satellite rider has a bad week, he's dead last. Like Yeah, and also, given the fact that even at this point, you know, since Rossi, no one has won the championship on a satellite bike. So, so you know, they are not even realistic at this point. You know, I've said forever and ever, I'll believe it when I see it, you know, when someone wins a championship on a satellite bike. You know, obviously, Frankie came, came close in 2020, but still... I think it's possible, probably, but but it's it's not as likely. So you know they they aren't even like like when you if you look at it and your biggest challenger for the title is is a couple of satellite riders from your own team more or less. I I think you can't even look at them and say that you are not in the position of power at that point. Exactly, and that's an important point to bring up is that if it ends up being Martin and Bezeki, for example, to fight Banaya for a title, then I'm sorry. But the factory rider on a Ducati should be showing why he's a factory rider against the other Ducatis. It's not like Yamaha are bringing something to the table where Ducati don't have. They're they're dealing with the same set of tools in the same teams. Like, show why you're the man. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. And I mean, also adding to the fact that, you know, even if he's commenting on the fact that satellites are being closer, this isn't the same thing where where I've seen people argue about you know, unmerited riders being up there. Like in Moto3, some people, I've seen people say that, you know, because of the slipstream effect, you know, the, 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 the packs are much bigger and, and other riders can hang on due to that and due to the bikes, bikes being the same. But that's not the case here. No one is no one is there because they're just slipstreaming away on a pack in Moto, in Moto, yeah. Moto, Moto GP. It's, it's not the same. So, yeah. Yeah, so... um. All in all, we're sort of basically saying that we side with um, Hervé Pontral on this. Um, (laughs) 
yes, I think it's been taken a little bit out of context, maybe, but he knows what he was saying in the way that he said it, and I it, think that I understand. Yeah, go on, go on. It's just it's a. I understand his point also. The fact MotoGP and made it a bigger deal, but also this is not the first time Pego has said something exactly. left field comments about these things. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying he's wrong for it, and obviously I, I think it's good that you have an opinion and you state it, but also the fact that you know you can't still completely say that these are not what he said. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there with what I was going to say. It's like he can say that it's out of context, but he's given the same sort of feeling and said the same similar type of comments before. And yeah, the, the no matter what context people take it from, like as in like what what context they get from that and go, I think this, I think that, I think this. You can't talk about a, a system you came through in that manner when if the shoe was on the other foot you would be sat there saying that's ridiculous so you know i think it's good that he states his opinion i think it's important that people state their opinion on stuff like this so you you actually know where they genuinely do sit on these topics but i um completely disagree with him um but i suppose that's kind of what we're here for isn't it to discuss but that's been us um, just a quick one this week, and next week, who knows what will bring um, to the table? Because you know, I didn't see Top Rack come in, and I definitely didn't see Peko lashing out on satellite teams. So, yeah, just a quick one from me and Elisa this week. Uh, be sure to leave us a rating on this episode if you have enjoyed it. Let us know what you think in Discord. You can join that through our Twitter page, which you can also follow all of our personal links and the page itself through Twitter. Um, and yeah, I'll also be doing an episode with another podcast that I will share on my Twitter uh, later to be revealed. This will be going out Monday evening, and I believe the other episode that I'll be featuring on will be out at the end of this week, but I'm not entirely sure yet. So I'll um, I'll be sure to put that out on my Twitter so people can see that. And yeah, that's been us. That's been the Red Sector. And with that, keep the throttle pinned. <laughs>